clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness tries it trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. Let me hear you. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great.
Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to
know this says special, but man, I want y'all to stand up and keep standing singing with me. I think this is such a powerful song. And I don't know how many of y'all need God saving y'all today, but I need God saving me every day, every single day. So man, I mean, we get to the chorus of this song. I mean, you may not know the verse, but man, when you get to the chorus, I know you know it. But man, belt it out. Just tell God how much you love him and how much he moves mountains for you and how he's mighty to save. Mighty to save forever. 
salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered my grave. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Purging, and I just ask God that you just be with us daily. Amen. All righty, thank you. It's good to see y'all here today. This is. Uh, was designated on the convention calendar as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And, and on this Sunday, I've used this opportunity to preach about the tragedy of abortion. I've even talked about uh, euthanasia, mercy killing, and, and Jack Kevorkian, and issues like that. Today, I want to go one step back in, fr in front of all that. Um, I want to talk about marriage, because I believe a marriage where there is a happy husband and wife is the right kind of context for rejoicing when a child is born. And I think that provides the, the, the context for the sanctity of life. So I'm going to talk about marriage today and uh, some characteristics of a happy marriage. Now, not to say that I'm an expert on all these things. Susan will be quick to tell you that. But just in the course of 30 years of marriage, you know, we've learned some things, some things the easy way, some things through counseling, some things through controversy. But through it all, we have learned and grown and just fallen even more deeply in love with each other. And so these are some characteristics that came to mind about a happy marriage. And I base it in Genesis 2, 18 through 24, where God gives us his design for marriage. Genesis 2, 18 says... Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. Before the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this, I love this. This is where he breaks into poetry, laying his eyes on a woman the first time. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves or clings to his wife and they become one flesh. When you have this context in marriage as God designed, the sanctity of life is honored. Let's pray. Father, teach us about marriage. This, we're, we're getting ready for a marriage conference on the, February the 20th and discipleship classes are starting up about intimacy and relationships and we just need to learn so much from your word because the world is trying to teach us so much counter to what you say. And so soap operas and talk shows and dramas on TV portray marriages in ways that we never dreamed and you never intentioned. So remind us of the way marriage is supposed to be. And in so doing, help us to honor the life that you bring to a husband and wife. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a parable that Jesus teaches in Luke 15 about a woman who, who has ten coins and she loses one. And it talks about the extent that she will go through sweeping her house and lighting a lamp and looking under every nook and cranny in order to find that coin that she has lost. And then when she finds it, there is rejoicing. I think in many respects, that's a parable of the way marriage is for us today. Marriage is something that, that folks have, have lost sight of, and we need to search for it. And when we find it again and honor it, we need to rejoice, because that's the way God intended it. Nothing in my mind is more important in a Christian's life than a Christian home. And if you were blessed with being raised in a Christian home, you have much to be thankful for. Your children are looking to you to, to give them that same privilege. So as we talk about marriage and we talk about characteristics of a happy home, I want you to think in the background about the sanctity of life, realizing that when a husband and wife are happy and when the home is secure and that child is born, life is honored and there's rejoicing, just as the woman who found the coin. There's some characteristics I've listed in your bulletin, and uh, a lot of these I talk about in premarital counseling sessions that I do with couples that I'm, going to, that I'm going to perform the marriage ceremony for. So if you're married, you might want to think about these. If you're getting married, you might want to plan for these and talk about these. Wherever you are in your life, I think hopefully these six characteristics of a happy marriage will have something to offer. The first thing I want you to see as a characteristic in a happy marriage is the importance of compromise and flexibility. And, and I talk about this first of all when, I, when I'm talking to couples because it is such a crucial issue, particularly in the first year. And the reason why is because everybody has differing expectations when they come into a marriage. So where do you acquire those expectations? There are about three different places where expectations for marriage come from. The first one and the most important that I tell couples is your own home. Men, you learn how to be a husband and father, and ladies, you learn how to be a wife and mother from your parents, first and foremost. How your father and mother related, how they problem solved, how they made decisions, all those 
go into making you who you are, and that is part of the expectation you have when you go into marriage. A second place where we learn about marriage is outside sources, and I'm talking about their newspapers, magazines, television. And let me tell you, most of these sources are wrong when it comes to teaching you about marriage. I was, I don't watch Jerry Springer, but I flip channels, and uh, I was flipping a channel, and I just for 30 seconds, I saw this, and I said, I pity Jerry Springer to have to stand there and listen to that. I know he is thinking there's got to be a better way to make a living than doing this. I don't know where those people come from, but I tell you what they do is, is people that are sitting there watching that, watch those folks on TV and they said, you know what, my life isn't as messed up as theirs is. Maybe, maybe I'm not so bad after all, but, but what he is doing is he's putting all these kinds of situations on TV that are not normal. And, and they, they give you an understanding or an expectation that maybe something about it is right. I was flipping channels on, there wasn't anything really worth watching Thursday night, but some of the things that I was watching just had all different kinds of, of relationships and marriages and things going on that did not honor God. And I'm thinking, people watching this are going to get the wrong expectation and understanding about God's intention for marriage because people are learning how married people relate to each other by magazines and newspapers and television, the internet, media, all kinds of crazy sources like that. The third source is what your friends tell you. What your married friends tell you about marriage helps form in your mind the expectations of what marriage is going to be like. So you take that mix of things, what you learn at home, what you watch on TV, what your friends tell you, and you kind of formulate in your mind what a husband is supposed to be, what a wife is supposed to be, and what a marriage is going to be like. So what happens when a husband and wife come together and they have different expectations? Husbands, let me give you a tip. Don't ever tell your wife, you didn't cook that like my mother used to. I tried it. It doesn't work. All kinds of things. Don't, you know, don't bring differing expectations. It's like I heard someone say one time, it's like you're carrying a bag with you. And, and your spouse is carrying a bag. And you get in that marriage and you open up that luggage, that baggage... And you find all these different expectations and resources and understandings of marriage. What happens when they're different? I thought of a verse. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of vain expectation or selfishness, but in humility consider the other more important than yourself. Philippians 2, 3. In humility, when you do that, husbands and wives... You realize you might not be the authority and have the final word on everything. There might be some room for compromise, for flexibility in coming into a marriage relationship. Compromise is so essential. The second thing in marriage is companionship. Husbands and wives, and this is what the scripture says, it's not good that man should be alone. For a happy marriage, the second characteristic is you have to spend time together. You have to talk. You have to work through problems. You have to go through good times and even more importantly through difficult times because when you do, that bond is just forged even more strongly. Rodney Dangerfield is a comedian who can't get no respect. Remember, I can't get no respect, he's always saying. One time he said, my wife and I, we uh, 
We sleep in separate beds. We eat dinner separately. We take separate vacations. We're doing everything we can to keep our marriage together. And what marriages need is not more time apart. They need more time together. And so I think, and I've said this before, what's the most important piece of furniture in your home? It's the kitchen table. Because around the kitchen table, at dinner time, you can take the phone off the hook between 6 and 7, whatever you have to do. You talk. And it doesn't have to be about big issues or significant things. Just ask, how was your day? What happened today? Tell me about it. I care. You know, I'm concerned about you. I love you. I want to hear a problem you had, something good that happened to you, something I can help you with. Talk about that around the dinner table. It's so crucial. So you got compromise. you got companionship. The third thing is support. In a happy marriage, there is a husband and wife who love each other and affirm and encourage and support each other. Home has to be the place where you feel safe, where there's sanctuary, where you can go and you can retreat from all the problems that happen in the course of the day and know you're loved and appreciated. It reminds me of a story I heard about this, this young groom, been married a few days, and he said, Honey, you know, I, I know we're still working things out, but I just hope from time to time you won't mind it if I point out a few of your faults. And she says, please do. It was those faults that kept me from getting a better husband. (laughs) So that's the way it goes. You don't want to find, I mean, it's easy to find faults in each other. In some marriages, that's all they do. They tear each other down. They criticize each other. You know, they're only looking for mistakes. You didn't do that quite right. Let me show you, you know, It's just as easy to look for things that you like about the other person, for positive things, good qualities, encourage those, support those, affirm those. Wives, let me tell you something. Your husband will do something stupid from time to time. And when he comes home, if you love him and support him, it'll just make him appreciate you even more. If you tell him what he did was stupid, and if you remind him what he did was stupid over and over again, all it does is tear him down. But if you'll be there beside him, even through those crazy times, he'll find his, his strength, his, his resource, totally from your support and dependent upon you. Some Sundays after church, we'll go home and we'll be sitting around the dinner table, and I'll ask Susan, uh, well, what did you think of the service today? And she'll say, that tie looked good with what you had on in your suit. And I'll say, uh, well, what about the sermon? And she'll say, if you want me to be honest, don't ask that question. (laughs) So we kind of have a rule. We don't talk about the sermon until Tuesday, until there's enough distance between it. But but you don't have to dig for problems. You don't have to look for, for things to criticize. Look for things to encourage and support or affirm. When I hear a husband and wife anywhere in conversation making fun of each other, tearing each other down, criticizing each other, it just makes me squirm. It, it, it turns my stomach because that's a problem that will only continue to grow. And husbands and wives need to love each other and support each other and encourage each other even when they make mistakes. 
be there for each other. And that bond will grow even stronger. A fourth thing, and this is one thing I really harp on with newlyweds too, is commitment. We've talked about compromise and companionship and support. What about commitment? There is a very low level of commitment in marriages these days. Marriages, let me tell you something, love gets people married, but commitment keeps people married. Love is an emotion. It is fickle. It will be hot one day and cold the next. And if you base a relationship on love, it's going to be like a roller coaster. But if you base your relationship on a decision of the mind that you are going to be committed to this person no matter what, then when those bad times come, you can see, you can get through them. And then when the good times come, they'll be even better. And let me tell you something, it's going to be a whole lot more fun to be married to one person for 50 years than five people for 10 years. Commitment is what is required. Herman and Gertrude had been married about a week. They were moving into their new house. And Gertrude said to Herman, he said, she said, Herman, you know what? If it weren't for my money, we wouldn't be here. The next day the furniture arrived and Gertrude said, Herman, if it weren't for my money, <laughs> this furniture wouldn't be here. The next day a large screen TV arrived and Gertrude said, Herman, if it weren't for my money, this big screen TV wouldn't be here. Finally, Herman had enough and he said, Gertrude, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> money doesn't keep people together. Love doesn't keep people together. Commitment keeps people together. I've read a lot of books about infidelity and, and causes of it, but you know what I think the underwriting cause of infidelity is? Is a lack of commitment. Because when a husband and wife are committed to each other, they give themselves physically and emotionally to their spouse and no one else. And commitment is essential in marriage. The fifth thing that's essential is affection. It's okay to be affectionate, to love your spouse and, to let, and let them know that you love them. I love it when I see people coming to church holding hands. Folks that have been married 50 years holding hands, it's a, it's a precious sight to see. And, uh, and I usually tease them and say, hey, hey, no, no public display of affection or something like that. But they just smile and grin and, and I know they're happy. And that brings me joy. An insurance company did a survey and it found that husbands who kiss their wives every morning live five years longer, usually have a higher income, miss fewer days of work due to illness, and have fewer accidents on the workplace than men who don't kiss their wives every morning. Did you hear that? So if you want to live longer and, and be happier and, and not be as sick as often, kiss your wives every morning, guys, and tell them you love them. When you come in in the evening, tell them you're glad to see them. Kiss each other. The last thing you do before you fall asleep, kiss each other and tell them you love them. Um, I guess the corollary would also be true. If you kiss someone else's wife, your life expectancy will go down. So buy flowers. I mean, Valentine's Day. They're already stocking the store with cards and candy and flowers. You know, it's great to do on Valentine's Day, but it, it also means something in July, in September. You know, surprise them with love and affectionate actions. 
that will tell them of your love. Affection. The sixth and final characteristic of a happy marriage is worship. I see a lot of couples who get married, but they never plug into the church. And they never tap into that spiritual dimension of their personalities that would offer them a much deeper level of intimacy and a closer bond and a deeper relationship than they ever thought possible. What I usually tell them is is that physical attraction brings people together. That emotional attraction is what they learn, is that love that develops over time. But there's also a spiritual dimension to their lives. And, And sometimes I'll explain it like this. If Jesus is at the top of this pyramid and you and your spouse are down here at the bottom, and you're growing closer to him, what's happening to the two of y'all? You're also growing closer together, aren't you? So there's a relationship there, a spiritual dimension of our personalities that a lot of couples never tap into, that a lot of couples who don't pray together, who don't serve the Lord together, who don't worship him together, never discover. And there's a relationship made possible Because Jesus is not only the Lord of their lives as individuals, but he's a foundation for their home. When a husband and wife worship God together and and, and serve him together and their family comes to church and worships him together, there is a bond that the world doesn't know of that brings them closer together and um, helps. It doesn't fend off all of the difficulties of the world, all the problems but it provides resources to help cope with those problems. God looked at man and he said, it's not fit for man to be alone. And so he gave him woman. And in that context of a home where there is compromise, flexibility, where there is companionship, where they enjoy spending time together, where their hobbies don't take them in different directions, but in their free time, they just enjoy being together where there is support, where, where even when they make mistakes, even when they foul up, instead of criticizing or, or poking at them, they use that to say, you know, I still love you. When there is commitment, that relationship's not based on an emotion, but it's based on a decision of commitment. Where there is affection, openly displayed. Where there is worship. Those characteristics of a happy marriage will be the proper context for bringing a child into the world and the sanctity of life as God intended and as God ordained is preserved. We need to sweep around to rediscover these characteristics in our homes today. And when we find them, we can rejoice. No one has mastered all six of these characteristics perfectly. But if there's one or two or three that you want to take, at, take out and look at and work on in preparation for Valentine, in preparation for the marriage conference on February 20th, in preparation for raising a child, God will honor it. Let's pray. Father, we know what you intend for marriage because we see it so clearly in the Bible. 
And yet we hear differing instructions from the media, particularly TV. We are so easily influenced and we see all these messed up relationships and folks doing things that are against your will. And suddenly that creeps into our understanding of how men and women are supposed to relate to each other. On this Sanctity of Life Sunday, help us recreate, first and foremost, the sanctity of the Christian home. And then let that be the context for bringing life into the world. And when you bless a couple with a child, that life is cherished. The way you intended, the way you ordained. Father, when we mess up, as we often do, forgive us. Give us a fresh start. Cleanse us and head us toward your desire for marriage, for relationship, for love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a a hymn of decision and commitment today. You know, maybe where you are, you need to recommit your marriage to God's intention. Or maybe you have a decision you want to make public, professing your own faith, rededicating your life. Maybe you need to join this church today. If you have a decision to make, I'll be at the front to receive you. We're going to sing a song, You Come As We Stand. As the deep